How's the night treating you? That good, huh? <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you, won't we uh, open up the book of Deuteronomy uh, as we continue uh, our study in the book of Deuteronomy. We find ourselves in chapter 3, uh, about halfway through chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 12. You remember as we look at the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is Moses' final words. It's a series of of messages that Moses speaks to the people. And we're actually going to close the first one. Uh, it's a series of, uh, of messages that Moses is going to bring at the end of his life, the things that are on his heart. In this first section, this first area that we're going to close up tonight, he's dealing with their history. And one of the challenges for us, whenever we look at, at what Moses is, is laying out as his heart, is learning to do the same thing for us. Learning to count the blessings, the things that God has already done for us. The things He's already accomplished in our life. We sometimes forget. It's a moment after, you know, the Lord has delivered us or saw us through an event or given us strength to overcome. Uh, we're right there, you know, praising the Lord. But But then a month, two months later, something else is going on. Are we remembering one of the things that Moses is going to talk about tonight is our tendency as human beings to forget you know it's all summed up in that song Janet Jackson did that she's so famous for right what have you done for me lately that sometimes is our the focus of our relationship with the Lord so Moses in this message that he's bringing to the people he says here is what he's done for you here are the things that God has accomplished in, your, in our life. And, and I'm blessed by the, the, uh, the reading of counting their blessings that they did. Dayenu. Dayenu. It would be enough. If the Lord did this, it's enough. It's enough. Paul would teach you and I, he would encourage us, godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you content in anything? Are you content with what you have? What's going on in your life right now? Or are you so driven to accomplish that you've lost the ability to be content? You're so driven for the next thing, whatever the next thing is. You know, it's like if you buy a computer, what happens two days later? There's another one better, right? And then a week later than that, another one better. You go out and you buy the next greatest. I remember, this is the greatest technology ever to face mankind. Come on out. You want to have these beta vhs players some of you don't even remember them oh yeah this is a killer thing do you remember how big those things were man it was like a big old suitcase under your tv and that would come up you put your tape in there and that was just the the epitome of technology and with this finally we'll be satisfied then they, then they come out with the VHS, and you could get them for a nickel. And nobody made betas no more. Oh, come on. You guys went through that already once, right? <laughs> Buy that 8-track. That's the end-all, beat-all. You put that 8-track in, and then you've got to have a matchbox in your car. You know you've got to have a matchbox, because sooner or later, it's going to start playing three tracks at once. And the only way to get it to focus on one track is to shove that matchbox up underneath that 8-track. Well, then they come out with cassettes. Yeah, you try to buy a cassette lately? Yeah, good luck. 
Then it was CDs. At least you can still buy a CD. But most people just downloading MP3s. The scripture lays out for us godliness with contentment. We get caught up in that same old rat race. Wanting the next thing. And we forget about the blessings we've already received from the Lord. So the, the, that, that old hymn would remind us. Count our every blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Understanding the things that God has done is important for us. And so as Paul's laying out here in Deuteronomy chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 12, that's what he's doing. He says, This land which we possessed at that time, from Arior, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. And the rest of Gilead and, and all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argob with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. Now, don't forget when we look at that word giants in the scripture, it's not the word giants. In Hebrew, it's Rephaim. It means the fearsome ones. Fearsome ones. Now, one of the things that they were marked by was the fact that they were big. They're tall people, giant in stature. But I think it's more than that. When we look at the Rephaim, when we look at the Nephilim, when we look at the, the different phrases and names of the different tribes of giants, just realize that these people were fearsome people, something that, that everyone was afraid of. In fact, we already saw the nation of Israel wouldn't enter into the promised land when they first got there because of them. Because they're too mighty, they're too powerful. We're grasshoppers to them. They'll stomp on us. That was their outlook, facing the fearsome giants of their life. Now, you and I, we have those same things today that we face, our giants, whatever they are. Not necessarily a tall guy named Goliath, but it can very well be the, the different challenges and struggles of everyday life. Maybe it's a, a doctor's prognosis. Maybe it's struggling with a, with a teenage child. Maybe it's, you know, any number of things can be that giant that brings makes us fearful or or brings us to a place where we don't quite want everything that god has listen if those days come up remember about reuben gad and the half tribe of manasseh who said to the lord this is good enough this is good enough that's what he's talking about right here reuben gad a half tribe of manasseh they didn't need to cross the jordan they didn't need the promised land they didn't need the fulfillment of everything that god had for them this was good enough. And when we come to those kind of places, we want to remember them. Reuben, Gad, and the first, uh, or the half tribe of Manasseh are going to be the first tribes to fall. First ones to fall in idolatry. First ones to stumble. Ultimately, Gad is going to become the name of that region. And you're going to, at the time of Jesus, be introduced to a fellow from Gad. Remember the Gadarean demoniac? And what, what, what was their herd at that time? At this time, it was sheep and goats. What was it when the Gadarene demoniac was, was meeting Christ? Remember, his name was Legion? For we are many, and he cast them into the pigs. The pigs. Where, what are they doing with pigs? You see, they had pigs because they began to make compromise. And their first compromise was, this is all I need of God. It's all I need of him. I don't 
want the rest. I'll, sure, I'll go to battle, and that's what he's going to talk about. They're still going to go to battle, but they compromise with their relationship with God. And we never want to compromise with that. We never want to say, this is good enough. It's good enough what I have with the Lord right now. We constant, Listen, I used to tell my football players, if we're not moving forward, what are we doing? We're falling behind. If we're not moving forward, we're falling behind. If we're not moving forward with the Lord, if we're not moving further with Him, going on battle after battle after battle, whatever the Lord has for us next, remember we don't want to have the mindset that says, I don't want to go to battle. I'm tired of fighting. I want to, I want to stop all that because we see in the life of Moses all the way to the day when God says to Moses, hey, you're about to die, but I have one more battle for you. One more, one more round. What about Caleb? Remember Caleb, he's, he's 80, 90 years old, and he says to, to, to Joshua, hey, you give me the land with the giants. I, got, I still got more fighting to do. We need to realize that this world is enemy territory, and if you're in enemy territory, you should expect conflict. And we're going to have that conflict. But that conflict is going to work in us a greater hope of glory. And we want, not only do we, do we want to not despise that conflict or that fiery trial, as James would put it, but we want, to, we want to live through that trial, that issue, that problem in front of our family and with our kids so that they see how it works. We need to get over the idea that we portray to our children perfect, peaceful house where there's no strife because you tell me what world dad is in because that child's going to grow up and say oh mom and dad everything was perfect it all was all their i's were dotted t's were crossed so they get married and find out that marriage isn't that way that marriage is another challenge another battle another area within our life that we need to learn to overcome by the power of Jesus Christ and not by the power of our flesh. So we want to enter into that. We want to enter into that battle. We want to enter into that place. We want to we give ourselves over completely to everything that God has. But here, these guys, well, they came and conquered their giants, but they said this is as far as we want to go. Now, Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob, as far as uh, the border of the Gersherites and the Maekites, and, and, and called Bashan after his own name, Havath Jair to this day. Also, I gave Gilead to Machir and to the Reubenites and the Gadites. I gave the Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle, <clears throat> the middle of the river as the border, as far as the river Jabbok and the border of the people of Ammon. Now the plain also with Jordan and its border, the Chinnereth as far as the east side of the Sea of Arba, the Salt Sea, below the slope of Pisgah. Then I commanded you at that time saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel. But your wives and your little ones, your livestock, and I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in the cities which I have given you. This was a big problem for Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. 
Because their kids never got to see God deliver the children of Israel in battle. He never got to see them face obstacles. He never got to see what God was doing. And I think we do a disservice if we don't live real within our families. We, we get this idea that we have to portray some type of perfection. It, I don't know how long it takes us as we grow, but we should reach a point where we realize sinless perfection we're not going to attain in this life. Now, we can pretend and we can wear a mask, but we all know on Sunday morning when we come to church, we were fighting all the way to the parking lot. And we got out the car and we, everybody but John, because he's alone in his car. If he comes fighting, there's a problem. We, we come to the parking lot, we deal with all that stuff, and then as soon as we start walking in church, we put on that mask that says everything's okay, and we weren't really just fighting. And, and we, we have to fight against that concept that says, I don't need to be real. Now, I'm not saying use realness as an excuse to be a jerk, but I am saying that, that, it's a, that we need to realize, hey, this is real life. That's where the rubber meets the road. It's not some... It's not some pie in the sky. Everything's perfect all the time. And it's okay. Jesus died for that argument in the parking lot. And he's forgiven us. And when we learn as husband and wife before our children to say, you know what, honey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. The, the 12 words that should end every fight. We... If we learn to do that in front of our children, what do they learn? They learn how to resolve their conflict. They learn how to forgive. They learn that in a real marriage, sometimes there are disagreements. Sometimes there's trouble. Sometimes there's problems. It's never wrong for kids to see it. For them to learn, this is the battlefield. And this is how God delivers us. And this is how the forgiveness of God works practically. We can sit in Sunday school and we can tell them about forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9, and we can tell them about how God does. Folks, they're going to learn from watching you. The Sunday school is not going to take the role of teaching our children the way they should go. It's going to fill in a gap. But if we're not portraying the reality at home, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh didn't portray that for their children. And within a generation, their children are going to stumble, fall, go into idolatry. And we're going to see them lose their, their faith and be the first part of the, of the children of Israel to falter. I think there's a place for sheltering our kids and taking care of our kids and making sure our kids have an opportunity to be trained up. But I think it's important to be real. I think it's important to be real here. Because sometimes, let's face it, we're not having a good day, right? You know, it's okay to come in and say, hey, I need prayer. Pray for me. Having a rough time. We don't got to dwell on it. We just, but that's what we're supposed to do for one another, right? Pray for one another, lift one another up. We don't have to pretend it's all good. And we need to do that. I remember when I was doing youth group, do you know that in youth groups sometimes there are challenging children? <clears throat> sometimes in youth group you got kids that are, are what people would call bad seed. And I remember when I was doing youth group, I, I, it seemed like it was always girls, but I always had 
uh, a couple of girls that were just, just, they just got it. I mean, they knew the Lord. They wanted to worship. They wanted to, to devour the word of God. I mean, they got it. And they would come to me every single year. And they would say, you know, Jackie, we're going to stop coming to youth group because it's too hard for us to really focus on our relationship with the Lord with all these people goofing off. And I tell them the same thing. If everybody who has a solid relationship with the Lord only focuses on their own relationship with God and doesn't realize that they have a responsibility to model that relationship for others to see, then I'll always have kids goofing off. And I will lose the example of what a kid their age can have in a relationship with God. We got to realize when we come together as a body, it's not all about what I receive. Sometimes it's about what I give. When we come to worship, it's not always about what I, what I receive, what I like, what's good for me. It's about what I can give, what can I portray. How do I help someone understand what it is to worship God? It's, it's that that we have when we gather together. And that is what was lost by Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh when they said, we're not going on. This is all I want of God. And there's a bunch of churches like that, folks. There's a bunch of churches that read the Word of God and see within the Word of God that there is a moving, living, powerful Holy Spirit that wants to bring life within, that gives us the strength to be more than we are. There are gifts that are listed within the pages of Scripture that they want to deny, that they're afraid of, that they're worried about. So they'll say, this is it, as far as we want to go. And I always want whatever God has for me. I don't want what the next fad is. I don't really care what goofy guy. If it's in here, then I want it. And if it's not, then I don't care about it. There's enough in here to keep me busy. It's enough in here to, to keep us cracking. I want everything that God has, all that he has. Verse 20, he goes on, Until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God has given them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession which I have given you. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. Listen to verse 22. You must not fear them, For the Lord your God himself fights for you. And all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Listen, we don't need to be afraid of anything. For the Lord our God fights for us. Remember, whatever enters into our life passes through the hands of a God who loves us. Now, we might say, I don't like this situation. This is uncomfortable I don't see how anything good or right or happy or anything decent is going to come out of this. But the scripture says, don't be afraid of it. Just know that the Lord your God is fighting for you. What does that mean? It means I don't have to fight for me. Long time ago, someone told me, if we begin to spend all our time defending ourselves, then defending ourselves is all we'll ever do. So what do we need to do? We go about doing what God's called us to do and let the Lord defend. Let the Lord God defend. Who fights the battle? 
It's God who fights a battle. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time and said, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. What's Moses talking about? He's talking about the fact that he blew it too. And he doesn't get to enter into the promised land. And he asked God, Lord, Lord, please let me go. And God said, no, you're not going. You're not going. There are ways in which a, a, a person can find themselves disqualified in ministry. doesn't mean God doesn't love you. doesn't mean that God doesn't, doesn't care for you or that God doesn't have a plan for your life. But there are things that are gone. For Moses is gone. Stop asking me. You're not going in. You fulfilled. Moses is going to finish the race that God had laid out for him. He's going to finish that race. He goes on to say now in verse 27, So go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you will not cross the Jordan. So God said, go on top of this mountain and you can see it. Go see the land. Now, did Moses ever make it into the promised land? That depends on how you look at it. At the transfiguration, Jesus spoke to two. Two people representing the law and the prophets. Who were the two people? Elijah and Moses. And where were they? They were in the promised land. Now, that might be cheating. Because it's after he's dead. But, nonetheless... Moses is there with Jesus Christ speaking with him. At this time, he just gets to see it. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he will go over before this people, and he will cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So he stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Now, as he's reciting this, he's saying, listen, I wanted to go, but God told me no. But it's important that what, what did God tell him to do? God said, raise up Joshua. Hey, there's some places we're not going to go. Maybe we got dreams and aspirations of things we'd like to see the Lord do. Maybe he's going to do it in our lifetime. Maybe not. Maybe he's going to use that young uh, child that you have in Sunday school or that kid in youth group or, or that young man or woman who, who's just got a fire for the Lord. What does God want us to do? Pour ourselves into him. Pour ourselves into her. Pour ourselves into the next generation folks because if the next generation is not getting a love for god's word and not being empowered to do what god's calling them to do then this whole thing ends with us stops with us if we're not doing what god desires and raising up that next generation chapter 4 verse 1 now O israel listen to the statutes and the judgments which i teach you to observe that you may live And go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if we will apply the precepts, the concepts that God gives us, then we will experience a victorious life. If you want to struggle your whole life, then live in disobedience to God's word. If you want to experience all that God has for you, it's simple. God is saying, this is how you do it. I'll give you a great example. 
when my oldest son was learning how to drive, I taught him how to drive. Probably a bad idea. But nonetheless, I taught him. So he drives like his dad. Only he's still in California. He don't have to slow down. And I told them, son, listen to me. You can go out and drive this car as hard as you want. You can do as many nutty things as you want. You can do, we call them donuts in, uh, in California there. What are they here? Something weird. Cookies. It just is foreign in my mind, but that's all right. So you can go do cookies, you can go off-roading, you can do all those things. But if you do all that stuff, you're going to wreck your car, you're going to get tickets, you're going to have a miserable time driving because you're going to spend all your time working trying to pay off all that stuff. So he has a choice now, right? Every night when he left the house, what I hear? he's headed down the road I could always tell when he was coming the sirens (laughs) JC's coming home he got tickets he got accidents he had all kind of problems now should he come to me and say dad you told me that this life would be victorious and abundant yeah if you listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth Sometimes that's how God needs to speak to us, huh? Here are my statutes, my judgments. Here's the law. Is the law good? Sure it is. is it, the law is perfect, the Bible says. The law is perfect. If I want to experience a victorious life, I need to realize when I take God's word, I don't get to read it and say, yeah, but, but I'm not, I don't feel like it. I read God's word and I say, you know what? In response to what God's done for me, I want to follow these precepts because in these precepts is a victorious life. A victorious life as we apply those judgments of God, those things that God's word lays out for you. And look at verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you. Now we read that in another place, don't we? Book of Revelation, right? The book of Revelation, John writes not to add to the words of the prophecy of this book. Here we see Moses saying, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command to you. Listen, what he's saying is, guys, there's no private interpretation of Scripture. Often a lot of times when we do different Bible studies, home study groups, You'll often hear people say, well, I think that verse means, and that's nice, but that verse is written in such a way that you don't have to say, I think what that verse means to me. You can just say, this is what that verse means. But I don't like that. Well, that's why the scripture lays out for us that no prophecy is given by private interpretation. It's not just for you to decide what you like or what you don't. This is the word. This is what the word says. What do we see people doing? Folks, we see people today saying the word of God needs to enter into the 21st century. So when God said that this is a sin, he didn't really mean that's a sin. We got to get over that hate of people and we got to tell it's all okay. We don't see liars saying that. 
We don't see thieves saying that. But there are people that are caught up in different types. And I'm not just talking about one kind of lifestyle. I'm talking about across the board. We get people who who will live together outside of the confines of marriage and say, well, yeah, I got God understands. We're married in God's eyes. Well, I don't think that that works that way. I think you're married in God's eyes when you're married in God's eyes. That's what the whole marriage ceremony was for, to be married in God's eyes, to do what God says to do. Oh, yeah, 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 but that was a long time ago. You know, back then, what do you mean back then? Remember Jesus and the woman at the well? What did he tell the woman at the well? Go get your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. You're right. You had five husbands, and the one you're living with now, he's not your husband. So is this something new? I don't think so. What it is is, are we willing to say that God's word is that which guides my life? That I believe. That I'm going to apply the truth of God's word. Listen, if we don't apply the truth of God's word and life is upside down, sideways, and all chaotic, don't shake your fist to heaven. In essence, God said, if you drive this way, this is what's going to happen. The wages of sin, every single time, right? Every single time. So listen, he says, apply this word. Apply this word. He's going to build on this concept. He's going to build on this idea. In verse 3, he says, Now your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor. You remember, he's reciting to them their history. That was the whole deal with Balaam. Remember, Balaam couldn't curse the people, couldn't curse the people, couldn't curse the people. So in Numbers chapter 31, Balaam tells the king, here's what you need to do, king. I I can't curse them, but you can make them curse themselves. What do you mean? How are they going to curse themselves? Well, if they live their lives in rebellion to what God's word says, then, then God will bring judgment upon them. Well, what do I need to do? Send all your pretty girls down there. Tell them to sleep with whoever wants to sleep with them. And while they're lying in their beds at night to open up their, their little bags or satchels that they carried and, and introduce their gods to these men. And they'll all follow them. And what happened? 24,000 people died. 24,000 people died. Because one man wanted to fill his house with gold. And he taught someone how to cause men and women to fall. They fell in sin. They fell in sin. And we already discussed it. What does sin do? We got to get over to the idea that, that we can sin a little and it's okay. There's only one wage for sin, right? Just one. The wages of sin is death. Every single time. Who paid that wage? Jesus Christ. So every time I sin, in essence, it's another stripe on his back. I am contributing to the suffering that he gave for me. So if you can say, oh yeah, I believe and I have grace and I can live my life any way I want, 
you're confused. You're confused. God says here, listen, guys. Listen to what I'm saying. These, these guys at Baal Peor, they fell. You saw what God did. You see the wages of sin in your life every day. Don't, so don't play with it. Don't mess around with it. Don't toy with it. In verse 4 he says, But you who held fast to me, the Lord your God, are alive today, every one of you. Man, there's a huge clue into how to make it. You who held fast to me. We talk about it a lot of ways. We talk about pressing in. We talk about making God central, making God a focus. Man, I need him. I need God. Where God is, that's where I want to be. Right? What does the scripture tell us? We've been over this before. Where two or three are gathered, what happens? There I am in the midst. So where do I want to be? Where believers are gathered together. Now that could be church. That could be home study. That could be just be getting together with friends. Where is Jesus not? Yeah, and we want to we decide, listen, if God's not there, why am I going? Why do I want to be a part of it? You who cling to me, who held on to God for all their worth, they made it through. They made it through. But those who didn't really cling to God, you know, I'm not a very clingy guy, and, and other people think I'm a wimp if I'm always trying to cling to the Lord, and so... I'm just going to show that I can make it on my own. Yeah, those are the guys who didn't make it. Those are the ones who didn't didn't make it, didn't arrive, didn't finish the race with joy. He said, surely I have taught you the statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful and observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that, the, that has God so near to it? As the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him. Man, he's saying, listen, we got a great advantage. We have God in the middle of the camp. God travels with us. God directs us. And we can ask the Lord if there's something. We, don't we experience that same thing today within the body of Christ? Don't we have the same opportunity, the same advantage? We can enter into the throne room of God. That we can ask him which way should we go, right or left? That we should go this way or that way? What do we utilize that blessing that we have in God? Man, I can make it. I can make a whole day's worth of decisions and never one time consider about what did God want to do, because I think, well, this is pretty easy. They're no-brainers, right? Is there such a thing? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. Hey, we want to take advantage of that this is what moses is saying you have god here in your midst you have him right here with you only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life and and teach them to your children and your grandchildren listen 
Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself. There's discipline involved in the walk with the Lord. There's discipline involved. Listen, if I don't take heed to myself, myself runs away with myself. Does any of yourselves run away with yourself? Because myself will definitely run away with me. All I got to do is give it a little bit. Just a little. It's like my dog. All I got to do is give my dog a little slack. And what's he going to do? Is he just going to cruise in that slack? And we can just walk together. and Oh, this is wonderful. No, what's a dog do? He goes right to the end of that slack. And then, oh, come on. I pull him back and give him a little slack. What's he do with the slack? That's the way our flesh is. You give your flesh a little slack, it's running right to the end. It'll take all you give and more. Take heed to yourselves. And then he says, listen, not only take heed, but diligently keep yourself. Diligently focus on those things that we are are making a part of our life. Because that really is going to be the framework for our decisions. It's a framework for our decisions. You've heard uh, the old story probably a hundred times. that When we give our life to Jesus Christ... We, have a, we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. We are like Jacob. We have two natures, right? Jacob had two names. Jacob and Israel. Jacob meant deceiver, Israel governed by God. Two natures. The flesh and the spirit. Those two natures are just like two dogs in your life that fight every day. The scripture says that the flesh wars with the spirit, the spirit with the flesh All they do all day long, every day for all time is fight for control of you. So which one controls you? The one you feed the most. The one you feed the most. If I feed the flesh, the flesh is going to make my decision for me. If I feed the spirit, then my spirit is going to make that decision for me. Diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. You forget what God's done. You don't remember the blessings. Is it enough that he gave his son? Did he have to give you financial security too? Is it enough that he gave his son and and gave unto you the seal of his salvation, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to walk the walk that God desires of you, to give you the strength you need? Is that enough, or did he, did he have to fix your car too? Did he have to remove every obstacle in your life? Don't forget what your eyes have seen, what God has done for you. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. You know, I love that old scripture. It says, train up a child in the way he will go. That train up is the word in Hebrew, chanak. You can say it, it's just like that. You got to get used to that sound. Chanak. Chanak means to put into the mouth. To put into the mouth of one. In other words, give your child a taste of what God is all about. Put it in his mouth. When Joe was learning to eat, Joe didn't like to eat. We could hardly get Joe to eat nothing. Joe, our youngest son, has autism. And so he wouldn't eat anything. We would worry about him. So this is how we get Joe to eat. We get him to open his mouth. (laughs) 
if you'd have seen this, you might have called CPS. And then we get his mouth open, and then I jam something in it. And then Kathy would help me hold his mouth closed. And he'd be struggling like this. And we'd try to hold it before he was choking. And, and he would, when he would finally decide to, to eat it. And then he'd go, oh, okay. And then he'd start eating it himself. To me, that's the greatest picture of train up a child. Give him a taste for it. Sometimes it's like that with our kids, right? You put something in their mouth and you got to hold it close till, they, till they'll take the time to taste and see. Teach your children diligently. We're going to see the great Shema next week. The, the hero Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And you will take these concepts, these precepts, these statutes and teach them diligently to your children. And they're rising up and they're lying down. Make sure that your kids know. This is what he's saying. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. So we never stop. We never stop looking for an opportunity to teach. An opportunity to provide for the children that which they need. Especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb. Remember Horeb, that's Mount Sinai. When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. So they get a unique opportunity. They have no doubt whether or not God exists. At Mount Sinai, God himself spoke to the children of Israel. Why did he do that? That they might learn to fear him. What's that concept of fear of God? Fear of God means a fear of disappointing Him. It's that idea that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Living your life according to the concepts and the precepts that God lays out. What is the fear of man? A snare. Why? Because it leads us to a point where we're trapped, where we're making compromise with what God's Word tells us to do. And what happens when we make compromise? Remember Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh? We stumble and fall. That's what happens. Verse 11, then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. The people drew near to the Lord and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven with darkness and cloud and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. The voice gave unto them the word. The word is the voice. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word was with God. The word was God. The truth of the word. God the word. You saw no form. Because God the word would come as a little child. Born in Bethlehem. You hear the word of God, but you don't really understand who God is until Jesus Christ reveals God to us. And the Gospel of John, he does it through seven I am statements. I didn't see a form of what God was like. I just heard his voice. What's God like? I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. I am the bread of heaven, the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
All these scriptures Jesus Christ lays out to proclaim to us who is the Word. Way back here, when they were at Mount Horeb at Sinai, they couldn't see God, they could just hear. They just just get a little bit of an understanding that's going to be fully revealed in Jesus Christ among them. And what happened? The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. Out of the, does that remind you of anything else? The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. Any of you on fire today? Man, sometimes that fiery trial that James talks about feels like we're in a fire, don't it? Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they, they knew what that was like. You know who those guys are, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went in the fire. Who did they meet in the fire? Jesus. God's there with him. God's in that place. How did he speak to them? In the midst of the fire. Where are they at? In the middle of the wilderness. Is, is life just a bowl of cherries for them? It's a bit of a struggle. But there is God on this mountain speaking to them. Speaking to them and they hear him. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded to you to perform the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. What is it that God spoke from the Mount Sinai? He spoke the Ten Commandments. They heard them. They saw the lightning and the flame and the fire and the thunder. All of those things. They saw all of that. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. What are the statutes and the judgments? Well, how about the, the seven feast days? They're appointed times. Each one picturing a, a, an aspect of Jesus Christ in his first or second coming. Or the sacrifices that all point to Jesus Christ. Or, or any of the other concepts that Moses laid out for them. Pointing to their Messiah. And so, take careful heed to yourself again. For you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure. We're all guilty of this. Oh, we might not have something carved up at home. But trust me, we all got God in our own little God box. This is how God works. And when somebody upsets our God box, it really frosts us. But the Lord says here, don't make any form, any figure. Because as soon as we start to describe God in a certain way, we, we are unable to cover all that is God. We can talk about God's grace and mercy, but we forget about His judgment, His justice, His truth. Listen, the likeness of male or female, He is neither male nor female. Huh? Well, isn't that what that says? The likeness neither male nor female, but everybody assumes God is Him. Because all the pronouns in the scripture deal with God in the masculine form. That doesn't mean that. That doesn't mean anything. That just means that he's the guy in charge. That's the one, he's the one in charge, but not male or female, he says. Listen, the likeness of any animal on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water beyond or beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the people under the whole heaven as a heritage. 
It's interesting because if you want to do a neat study on the stars, you do the neat study on the stars under their Hebrew names. The constellations. Uh, most of us know them by their Roman or Greek names, but the Hebrew names of the constellations tell the gospel in the stars. And the names of the stars and how the stars, how the, the, the constellations flow. So we look at this, he says, listen, don't start to put God in any kind of box. As soon as you do, you're missing something. We don't have the ability. That's why God said, don't make any likeness. Right after Mount Sinai, what did the children of Israel do? They built a golden calf to talk about the power of God. That this is the God who carried us out of Egypt. But at the same time, they were limiting him, weren't they? Was it a true representation of all that God is? No, that's why God says, no graven image. I am that I am. I am everything you need. No graven image. No worship of the heavens. Yet today, don't we see that? What's the new age movement? It's worship of the heavens. Worship of the universe. That's what it is. I, have a, I, I actually have a friend who's, who's very weird to talk to anymore, but he talks about all the light and this goodness and God is the universe and this is God is love and all this, this, all this very new agey stuff, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of rare to, to talk to him, but he's done exactly what the Bible said. Don't be like those people look up into the heavens and say, you know, I'm going to worship that. It's so big. So mighty. That must be what God is. God says, no, that's not it. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace of Egypt. God ever bring you out of an iron furnace? You ever done something in your life to, to carry you through, do something incredible? But here to the Lord, to the children of Israel, he brought them out of that iron furnace, man. He brought them out of Egypt. He delivered them. And what happens when God delivers you? God owns you. When God delivers you, God owns you. You're his, man. So when the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, to pay the price of sin for all of mankind, he's provided deliverance for everyone, hasn't he? To all who will call upon his name, to all who will receive that gift of salvation, they will be his people and inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sake. Here goes Moses again. And swore that I could not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan. But you will cross over and possess that good land. Now Moses is sitting there. Think about how Moses is. He's probably holier then every one of them kids he's talking to, that new generation, right? This is the new generation risen up. Moses is telling them the story before he sends them into the promised land. Moses is probably holier. He understands more. He's wiser. He's more qualified. But God said no. And he's letting these other knuckleheads go in. I think sometimes that's stuck in Moses' craw a little. I don't get to go, but you get to go. 
And now he says, listen, don't waste the opportunity that you have. You get to go into the promised land to see God move, to see God's provision, to to trust that God's going to give you the victory. There's so many benefits that you're walking into. Moses doesn't want them to miss any of them. So take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Lord is a consuming fire. That means all that he is is this fire. When you're near him, you're either fire or you're nothing. He consumes. He's that consuming fire and he's a jealous God. What's that mean? That means that God wants all of you, not that part, not just the closet, not just this little piece of me. God, you can have my Sunday. I get the rest of the days of the week. You can have my Wednesday night. You can have my Sunday and my Sunday night and my Wednesday night. But the rest of the week's mine. He wants all of us. He wants the whole thing, the whole package. Right? How many of you would say, you know what? I, I, I met this terrific guy and, 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 and we're going we're gonna to be married. And he said he'll be my husband on Sunday and Wednesday. What would we be thinking about that? Uh, and you're, so you're leaving, right? You need to get off that train, sister. But sometimes that's the, that's the relationship we have with God. Our relationship with God is supposed to be all the time, every day. He has all of us. He's a jealous God. He wants it all. And when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and you act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I will call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. Look at verse 25. How does it begin? If... What's it say? When? Is it, uh, well, maybe you guys will make it, maybe you won't? No, listen, he already knows. Their presupposed failure. You will fail and you are going to get tossed out of the land. That's what he's saying. You will fail and you will get tossed out of the land. And verse 27, and the Lord will scatter you among the people and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods and work the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. You will fail, you will fall, you will go into captivity. They haven't even entered into the land. Moses is telling them what's going to happen. Not if it happens, this is going to happen. What did he say? He said, your children and your grandchildren are going to start doing this. Why? Did you teach your children diligently? Have you raised them up? Any of us been a parent very long, we know the, the sound of regret. We go to bed at night and we regret all the things we didn't do, all the things we didn't say all the things we wish we'd have stood tougher on or, or done more for. But the bottom line is, the Lord gave us, gives us our children on loan. We do the best we can and we turn them over to God. And they make their choice. You don't get to make them for them. 
when they make them and they follow the Lord, we, we celebrate. And when they don't, we pray. We pray that God's going to get a hold of them because this is going to happen, but don't forget verse 29. All this bad, you're getting thrown out of the land and you're going to serve other gods, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. That is not the end. More than one time I've seen a, a, that's it, this guy, this guy is a lost cause. Only to find out that that's not the end. Because when you get to the bottom and you get tired of eating the slop in the pig's pen, the prodigal son always looks to come home to dad. And that's what he says. Hey, when you get there, you'll seek me, the Lord your God. And you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and soul. You search, the, the, Lord, the word to seek means to search intently. That you're like, man, you know what? I taste and see that this is garbage and that was good. Right? Train up your child, put into the mouth. I tasted that in my father's house. It was better for the servants than it is here. So we, we have that opportunity as we train them up to realize that God's doing a work in their life. We're not responsible for their soul. They have the same freedom we do to choose. We're responsible for what? To teach. To train them up. To give them the taste. To give them the taste. So that one day they blow it like these guys did and they end up down in the tank. They seek the Lord and they'll find Him. And when you are in distress and all these things come upon you, when do they come upon him? In the latter days. When you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is what? Merciful. Oh, you know, it's hard for me to look at the Old Testament because it's like God in the Old Testament is not saved yet. And then when he gets saved, he becomes a God of grace and mercy. Well, you haven't read the Old Testament. He's a God of grace and mercy right then from the beginning. From the get-go, out from the fence. Listen, God is a God of mercy. He wants to restore. Listen, He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. Is God done with the nation Israel? Well, not if you read the Word of God, He's not. He made an unconditional covenant with Abraham, one that cannot ever be broken. Unconditional means without condition. They didn't have to fail. The, the Mosaic covenant, that was a conditional covenant. And they failed. And God put them outside the land. But he also said he would bring them back. And he did that and on May 14, 1948. Israel became a nation again. In the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. We're looking for that time. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has ever happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of fire as you have heard and lived? Did anybody, anybody here tonight have been in a place where the fire of God filled the room and the voice of God came out? 
God speaks to me through his word. God speaks to me through worship. God speaks to me in my heart. And occasionally, so clearly, I feel like I can hear him in my ears. But I have never heard the booming voice of God from out of the fire. He says, listen, have you guys ever seen anything like this? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation? By trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Has God ever pulled out his own peculiar people, his own special nation? He just plucked them up and he had a plan for their life. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God and there is none other beside him. For out of heaven he lets you hear his voice that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. Why did God do it? Motivation was love. His motivation was love. The heart of God and love for his people. Jude 21 tells us to keep ourselves where? In the love of God. If Jude tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God, is it possible for me to move myself out of the love of God? To take my place, to remove myself, if you will, from the spout where the blessings come out? I can stand in the place where God's blessings are. Or I can choose to say, no, nah, I'm going to do this my own way and I, I don't agree and I'm going to make my own. Now I'm not standing in that place. doesn't mean God doesn't love me, but I'm not in that place where God's love is being poured out, showered out upon his people. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. In driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, and there is no other. And you will therefore keep his statutes and commandments, which I command to you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in a land which the Lord your God is giving you for how long? All time's a long time, isn't it? So really... We don't need the United Nations to solve the problem. God's, it's God's land, first off. In Leviticus, God said, that's my land, and I'm giving it to you. And how long is he giving it to him for? Forever. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in times past, that... And that by fleeing to one of these cities, he might live. We, he's gonna, he, he's given us that the six cities of refuge, a place where you could flee from the judgment that would befall you for manslaughter. If you killed someone, they didn't have a police force at that time. You killed someone out of their family, they sent somebody to kill you. That's how it worked. God said, that's not okay. So if it's an accident, then you... Come to the city of refuge. Come to the place of refuge. And there, as long as the high priest lives, and you're, you'll, you'll have a trial, they'll, they'll go through the right steps, and you'll be safe from justice. Who's our city of refuge? 
Jesus Christ. And we flee to him and, and, and we're safe, right? The wages of sin is death, but Jesus Christ bore that death. He imputed into my account righteousness. And I imputed into his account my sin, which he became for me. So that I might become the righteousness of God. Listen, this is what he's picturing for us in the, the cities of refuge. He goes on, Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau of the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead, the Gadites, Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. Now, this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments, which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt. On this side of the Jordan, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of his land, the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. From Arior, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, even to Mount Sion, that is Hermon, and all the plain on the east side of Jordan, as far as the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. That's the end of Moses' first speech. As he wraps it up, Deuteronomy, the whole book is going to take place in one place. They don't move. Moses finished his first message. His second message is to come. If you think Moses' first message was long, man, what did you see in the second one? It's uh, like 21 chapters, the second one. Do you think, oh my gosh, Jackie will never shut up. He always goes over. He never ends on time. Just be happy my message is not 20 chapters long. <laughs> much shorter, much shorter. But as we take a look, we, we want to see all that God has for us in this because the reality is the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. What God laid out for us here in Deuteronomy that applied to them applies to us today. He gave it directly to the children of Israel. For us, there are little tidbits for us. And for me, those things are this. Listen, don't forget. Don't forget what God has done for us. How God has provided. What God has given. Remember them. And what did he say to do with it? Teach it to your children. Put a taste in their mouth for the taste of God. That they might have a relationship with him. And that the children of Israel would stay in the land a long time. Because generation after generation after generation would grow and walk with the Lord. That's our goal. That's what we need to be about. Raising up the next generation so that they too will choose to walk with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we do thank you for an opportunity to come before you to, to, to celebrate in the truth of your word. Father, we ask God that you would... Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, as we hear the, the, the words of this book and, and as your spirit brings things to our heart, God, that which is from you, may it last. That which is from me, flush. God, it's all about you. How you're directing and how you're leading and how you're guiding. And you have given us a call to train up the next generation, to teach our children diligently the things that you have for them generation by generation to place into the mouths of our children the taste of God that it would be that good taste taste and see that the Lord is good 
Father, we ask that you would guide us, direct us, lead us, enable us by the power of your Spirit to walk in your statutes and judgments, not that we're under the law, for we're under grace. But in a response to the love that you poured out for us, may we hear your instruction and say, this is the path, the path that leads to the abundant life. And may we follow it with a whole heart, looking unto you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we lay this time in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to close in a time of worship. We invite you to worship with us. And we'll have a time of fellowship out uh, in the foyer. Look forward to seeing and talking with you guys out there. God bless you. And go in peace.
cry of our heart. Open our eyes, Lord, that we would see only you. Lord, that we would uh, seek you with our whole heart, with our whole soul, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to each heart. Lord, that we would see you high, high and lifted up, Lord God, that you would be our all in all, all the days of our life, Lord. Lord, be with us now as we fellowship, Lord, as we Go through the rest of our week, Lord. Lord, you just uh, guide us and lead us. Lord, that we would be called yours and your people. In Jesus' name, amen.